each one of us lived up to our potential and managed our resources so well that we could provide for ourselves, our families, and our communities in a meaningful and substantial way. Join Step Right with Lynn, the show dedicated to empowering socially conscious individuals to manage their financial resources for the benefit of themselves, their families, and the greater community. Here's Lynn Wedham, Certified Financial Planner and Managing Partner at Step Right Capital Planning. Good morning, and welcome to Step Right with Lynn. This is April the 22nd, 2015. We welcome our live listeners this morning, as well as those who will be listening to the recorded version of the show. Uh, my guests today are Marion Good and Jennifer Denemy. Uh, they come to us from MEDA, that's Mennonite Economic Development Associates. Uh, you'll be really impressed with the impact of this organization. And when you want to know more, I'd encourage you to go to the archives and find a show that Marion did with me October the 15th, 2014, uh, where we talked more about uh, the general, um, more generally about the work. And um, today we're going to focus on women, youth, and children. And we're going to tell you as much as we can um, about the organization and the work that they do uh, in the time that we have today. Uh, MEDA is an international economic development organization whose mission is to create business solutions to poverty. They were founded in 1953 by a group of Mennonite business professionals. They partner with the poor to start or grow small and medium-sized businesses in developing regions around the world. Their expertise includes a full range of economic development tools, financial services, improved technology, business training, better access to markets, and equity investment. Uh, their work often focuses on women, youth, and the rural poor. Uh, they believe that all people deserve the opportunity to earn a livelihood and that unleashing entrepreneurship is a powerful way to alleviate poverty. Uh, Marion Good is currently the Regional Director, Resource Development at MEDA. Uh, prior to taking this role four years ago, she was a branch manager at Mennonite Savings and Credit Union for 15 years. Marion currently serves on the board of Fairview Mennonite Homes and has served on a number of boards and committees, including seven years on MEDA's International Board of Directors, the Board of Family and Children's Services of Waterloo Region, the Startup Board of the Wellesley Community Health Centre, the Executive Committee of Wellesley Board of Trade, and is now back on MEDA Waterloo Chapter Board after serving a previous nine-year term. Marion has three married children and nine wonderful grandchildren. All grandchildren are wonderful. Uh, she is an accomplished oil and watercolor artist and loves to travel. She lives in Wellesley and attends Herb Street Mennonite Church. Uh, Jen Jennifer Denemy is Director of Youth Economic Opportunities at MEDA. So welcome, Marion, and welcome, Jennifer. Thank you. We're glad to be here. Thanks, Lynn. That's, that's great. Um, Marion, um, could you tell us a bit about the background of MEDA, how it came to be established, and what kind of impact you've seen created? Absolutely. Uh, we always like to tell the story how MEDA got started 63 years ago when there was um, a handful of, of Mennonite businessmen, some in Canada, some in the U.S., that heard about a group of 
refugee farmers in Paraguay who were really struggling to uh, to survive and to make a go of their of their agriculture uh, farming. And so these men decided that just to give them a gift of money is only a short-term solution. And they decided at that time that to uh, put some money together and give it as a loan and, and also sort of a loan investment into building a dairy in Paraguay uh, would be a long-term solution because it would add value to their farming. Um, and so some of them actually, I think they each put in $5,000 and some of them made many trips down to help build this dairy. But over the next um, 20 years, that loan was paid back and actually even to this day, dairies that were spun off from that original dairy continue to provide I believe over 70% of the dairy products in Paraguay. So it was a huge wow. success. But it also proved that finding a business sustainable solution, a long-term solution, and not just giving a handout was, was what was going to drive the organization all these years since. And that and is a great, uh, a, a great illustration of a really long-term solution, isn't it? Um, absolutely. For it, yeah, for it to yep. still be. Uh, now, those gentlemen, did they have a, a background in agriculture, most of them? Um, I don't know them all personally. They were they were business and business minded men. I'm sure that some of them were back then were involved in the agriculture industry, um, but uh, some of them had businesses, and they obviously were very business minded and, and and decided that that model was the sustainable model. Right, right. Um, so, Marion, you're the regional director of resource development for MEDA. And Jennifer, you're the Director of Youth Economic Opportunities. Um, could you each explain a little bit about your roles um, and your responsibilities um, with MEDA? Sure. So I'll start. This is Jennifer. Hi, um, Jennifer. Hi. So I'm the Director of Youth Economic Opportunities, as you said. And one of the, the groups that MEDA targets as Potential um, potential business people, kind of uh, the the wave of the future is is young people, and so we work with people who are usually 14 or 15 and older. Youth is is a stage in life, and we we like to say that youth is a stage rather than an age. But usually, it's about 15 to 25 or 15 to 30, and the idea is okay. this is a point in life where people are going through a lot of changes where they may be uh, moving out of their family home, they may be at school and finishing school, uh, they may be entering the, the labor market, but it's the point in life where they begin to understand what the pathways are for their futures, what, what they want to do. Do they want to, to find a job? Most people want to find a job. Are they, are they able or do they need to start a business? Perhaps there's no opportunities available for them to find a regular job. And so often, this is the point where people begin to understand kind of how they fit into their, their communities and, and what their economic pathways are. And so at MEDA, what we really do is try and put these young people in a better position to, uh, to make good economic decisions and, if they want to, to earn an income that will help support them and their families for the future. And would, um, do, you, do you find that youth... Um, have a vision for this on their own, or is this something that 
I mean, obviously they're they're going to need some direction as well as you know the idea. But do they have the ideas for for this kind of thing? They, in fact, they usually have too many ideas. Um, <laughs> one, of the things, one of the things that we really work on is is giving youth hope for the future. So we do we do encounter youth sometimes who feel that there is no future for them, that that they're at a dead end, whether they're 15 or 25. Um, and in those cases, what we really try and do is help them to see that there are options, they do have choices, and that they have talents and abilities that they can direct towards uh, what they want to accomplish. But in a lot of cases, what we find is they have they have many ideas, huge ideas. They're they're wildly entrepreneurial, or they want to be a doctor or a lawyer, and 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 sometimes these are possible things. And we definitely don't discourage dreams. It's it's so important to have have dreams. But but what we often do is try and nudge them towards things that that are that are possible. I mean, if if they've dropped out of primary school, it's pretty unlikely they're going to be able to be a doctor. We don't articulate it that way, but what we try and do is get them to work on on understanding what the steps are for them to realize um, the, the the goal that they have for the future. So understanding how to break it down. What would they need to do in order to, to start a small business? Um, what skills would they need? What what, what access would they need to, to services? And, and in that way, we help them to sometimes refine their goals a little bit, sometimes focus on on one or two options and to really move in a in a uh, in a way that they can see they're making progress but also towards a, a a goal that will be positive for them. Okay. And what is your role in all of that? So I manage a team. Uh we, I have a, a small team of of project managers who are based in North America and uh and and in the field as well. So we have staff members in Nigeria and in Jordan and in Ethiopia right now on our team. And uh and I I manage them and help them to um to to run good projects uh in the countries that we're working in. And I also look for new projects uh for for my team and for my colleagues at Meta to to implement. Okay. Um, and Marion, as the regional director of resource development, um, what does your role entail? Well, I have the privilege of telling the media stories and to um, give invite people to help um, make a difference in the world with their uh, support, whether it's financial resources or or their support at our events. Those type of things. So it it is um, another name for a fundraiser, but I like to think that it's actually um, a ministry of of giving people an opportunity to help make a difference. People want to make a difference in the world, and they want to make sure that their dollars are are going to um, to um, organizations and endeavors that are going to make a difference. And and so um, one thing that um, it's easy for us to tell the, the stories of Mita and the change that, that happens, but also when people make a donation, it is um, multiplied many times over because to secure the contracts we have we uh, with institutional donors, which is governments um, like the Canadian government, U.S. government, European Commission, uh, and others, um, and also foundations like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and MasterCard Foundation and, and some of those 
we have to commit to putting money on the table in order to to get the contract. And so it's a partnership with our institutional donors. And so, for instance, in the last couple of years, um, myself and others on our, our resource development team, there's about seven of us in North America, not a huge team, um, we were able to raise $6 million. And with that, we we turned that into a budget of 42. So, so all the wow. gifts are multiplied on average seven times. So a person's donation goes a long way. So it is a, it's a very, very exciting organization. It is an organization that has good records and end results and reporting um, because our institutional donors really require that. We have accurate records in, in, of change, and they can see that. And so we're very transparent, and we're happy to, um, to be able to tell the stories and to invite people to make a difference. Oh, that's awesome. I um, I totally agree with you, uh, and I like your I like your uh, description. A ministry of helping people make a difference because people do want to make a difference, and we're going to take that um, that point just as uh, an opportunity to go to our uh, break right now, and we're going to learn more about this story shortly after this break. Hey. Is there a contribution that you dream of making? In society, planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on AtoZen.fm. This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S. 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at atizen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program. Step right with Lynn. I'm your host, Lynn Wedham. With me is my guest, my guests, Marianne Good and Jennifer Denemy from MEDA, Mennonite Economic Development Associates, uh, and we're talking about the work of that organization all over the world. Um, so, Jennifer, how do you identify um, where the opportunities are? What are you looking for? In, in a country, um, you know, I would think some economic stability or um, how do you know where the needs are? It's a, a great question and a both an easy one and a really difficult one to answer because I would say there are needs in so many different countries. Uh, in all the countries that we work, there are similarities, but there's also huge differences. You know, each country is different. The, the people in each country are different. The context is different. And I guess we would have certain things that we would like to be true in all the countries where we work. We'd, we'd love to have a, a stable and functioning government and a, an economic system that works reasonably well. But unfortunately, that's just not that's not true. Mm -hmm. 
we've worked in in countries that are very very much like that. We work in Ghana, for example, which has uh, a, a very positive functioning democracy. Um, the, the economic systems are are quite uh, quite stable. Um, the, there are good growing seasons. It's more difficult in the north where we work, but but generally that's quite a um, a predictable context to work in, and so that's okay. that's very good for us. However, we've also worked in Pakistan, in Afghanistan. We we're currently working in Yemen, although unfortunately because of the instability there, we're we're on hold, and we've we've made sure that our staff are all in safe places. We're working in Libya, which um, I think anybody who's seen headlines recently knows. Everybody wants to get out. Are, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Conditions there are very, very difficult. Um, so the the project that we're running there is 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 actually making a pretty significant difference, but very much against the odds. So mm-hmm. what, what do we look for? I guess we look for a, a place that. Uh, that can benefit from the, the the skills and talents that MEDA has. So there's other organizations that do other types of work. We're very focused and we do work that is only based on economic development. Um, we we work with with women and youth, as as Marion and I are going to talk about today. But we we also work with with farmers. We work in agriculture. We do work in health, but we work in the what we call the business of health. So more in mm-hmm in distributing health products like mosquito nets and making sure that there's commercial avenues for those to reach people on an ongoing basis. Uh, okay. we, we have a, a wing that does investment work in small and medium enterprises, and we also have a, a group that focuses on uh, inclusive rural finance and increasing access to financial services for people in rural areas. So I guess what we would look for is, is places where we can make a difference in these areas. Okay. Um, Marion, I think that it's important that people do recognize that difference. Jennifer talked about, you know, there's a there's a difference, like you're very focused on this economic development. And, and what, what's the difference between another organization and really making, you know, focusing on economic development? Okay. Um, I mean, there are other organizations that do economic development as well, and, um, you know, we certainly um, are not the only ones in the field, although we have been here for a long, long time, and we're in microfinance um, long before it became popular in the buzzword doing microloans. Now we work more, for instance, with microfinance institutions to strengthen them and give them, make sure, help them to build products that will reach the the, 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 the poor and those out in rural areas and, and, and that type of thing. But what we do differently, I think, is, is that we work with four words that are important to us, and the first one is sustainability. It has to be a project that, that will continue after our contract is ended. And, mm-hmm. and to, partly to do that, we work with local, uh, we hire uh, local staff, and we work with local partners so that if they aren't dependent on MEDA staff to, to run the project, um, it has to be um, measurable. So I talked about the, the reporting and the record keeping that we have to keep. It has to be scalable. So we do some pilot projects and then we actually, if they're successful, we're able to, to ramp them up into full full um, projects. For instance, in Tanzania, we did a pilot, and the research on that was the University of Waterloo, and it was working with um, 
uh, food fortification, fortifying food with vitamin A. And now that's becoming a full project in Tanzania, um, putting vitamin A in, in raw, unrefined sunflower oil um, okay. to help women and babies uh, with some of the health issues that a lack of a deficiency in vitamin A causes. And then it also has to be um, uh, replicable and scalable. I forget which one I said, but there's four things. So we, we have these guidelines that when we work on a project, they have to fit into that, and it has to be somehow a business model. It's not relief. It's not handouts. It's, it's something that we're actually going in and helping the people where they're at, what they're doing. If it's farming, if it's women in Pakistan or Afghanistan that are doing embroidery, if it's um, in Burma, Myanmar, a new project that we're working towards, that you know, growing strawberries and, and, and things. We help them where they're at um, to, to just find the gaps that's missing in the whole chain of, of getting their, their products and services to market. Sometimes it's financial mm-hmm. services. So uh, are we different? We think we're unique. We're creative. We find new ways. And we bring much empowerment, great empowerment to women, to youth, and to men as well, to families and communities. So I I think one of the the keys to people understanding what's going on here is, you know, you talk about loans, right? You're you're actually, um, it's a business model, so you're providing a loan to keep, you know, to get people started. And what I hear you saying as well is that there's a goal that they wouldn't need you anymore. Exactly. That's when we know we've succeeded. (laughs) They don't need us anymore. Yeah. Exactly. And and I think part of that is, too, we started out, and many organizations have, doing microfinance lending or microcredit, small loans, could be $50, $100, a thousand and they grow up as uh, grow to larger loans as they pay them off. But we've also found, and especially in our inclusive rural finance department, that the poor also need savings accounts. They need a safe place to keep their money, mm. and they also, um, they in some areas, they need micro insurance. So in Haiti, we're working with a partner there that is that is uh, making available micro-insurance policies so that the poor can actually have a little bit of a cushion for when disaster comes again. So they need the whole gamut. They need to be able to to save and to deposit and to borrow. And um, so it's it's helping a bigger picture than just giving small loans. Right. Um, And I would think there's got to be a huge amount of education because I would think that that person that's never been exposed to a bank account wouldn't know they needed one. Or if they haven't been exposed to insurance, they wouldn't know they needed insurance. Yeah, that's that's absolutely true. And and as Marion was talking, I was thinking of some of the financial education that we offer with young people, but also with, with households and families. And it's, it's, it's almost impossible, I think, for, for people, for, for, for your listeners, for example, to to have an idea of what it would be like to, that nobody in your family has ever had a bank account. Mm-hmm. Nobody in your family, nobody in your family has ever been inside a bank, for example, much less wow. had a loan wow. or taken insurance. And so it's, 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 it's a little bit around um, helping people to understand what the services can do for them. You know, savings can, savings can be really powerful, 
But it's also understanding what you're getting yourself into. You know, a loan is not something to be taken lightly. Um, mm -hmm. It can be hugely, hugely empowering, and it can make a big difference in somebody's life. But, but you know, becoming indebted is also a big problem um, anywhere around the world. Um, we've, we've had such good stories from the young people that we've worked with who have said, for example, um, we have a 30-hour financial education program that's part of a 100 Hours to Success, which is our kind of core training program for young people. And we had, um, had 23,000 Moroccan youth that got this training. And they, they often went into the training saying, I want to start a business. I need a loan, and then I'm going to open a shop, and then I'm going to dot, dot, dot. Mm -hmm. And after the training, a lot of them said, okay, I still want to open the business. I still want to shop. Maybe that's a little ways down the road. And what I'm going to do now is use my savings to start and start small and start, you know, out of my, out of my parents' um, garage, for example, mm -hmm. because I understand that a loan actually is kind of risky. So I want to make sure that I'm, I'm starting with my own money so I'm not getting into debt, and then I'll grow with a loan. And when we hear that kind of thing, we think, you know, it's not that there's a right or wrong answer to that. It's that no. young people who are beginning to understand that they have choices and how to how to make those choices that are good for themselves. That's that's such such good news for us. Right, right. And and, what and would, this, go ahead, Marion. I was just going to say you were you were wondering about the the empowerment. I was just going to talk about Solomon, one of our weavers, and this isn't a man, but in in, in Ethiopia we we have a project that's working with the weaving industry and the rice uh, farmers. So women are involved in both, but this one man said, he, he just talking about saving, he said, I never thought to save for, for an asset down the road. And, and he said, my family, I could sometimes only feed them two meals a day. And, and when he when he found out that he could actually save something every day, he said, I put a little bit in my savings box in my house. And now I'm planning to, to buy things for my family, my girls, and we can eat three meals a day. So this whole concept of you know, there's so many of them have just um, lived from day to day, and we have enough for today, and now we have to work to get money for tomorrow. But this whole concept of being able to save for future um, assets is, is a new concept for many of them in these countries. Wow, wow. And what other kinds of businesses would, would you see women and youth um, establishing around the world? Well, um, I think uh, I, I'm going to just mention again in, in Ghana, the women farmers that we're working with there, hoping over six years to work with 20,000 uh, women farmers. And in Ghana, farming is one of the lowest um, recognized um, industries to be in. They didn't want to be farmers. But what we've asked them to do is to take great pride in being successful in their farming and growing soybeans, something they had never grown helping them to be uh, able to use them in their household recipes and cooking, but then having more to sell and giving them opportunity to actually make choices of who they're going to sell it to. The one oil producer said, I get calls from the women seven hours away, and, and they, they ask my advice. They want to know what their options are, and they're learning to negotiate. And there's one woman, Mayan, who had uh, she has six children and her husband died, and um and and she's now having to provide for her family but she said since i'm involved in this project i've become more uh empowered to speak up in the group and to, to help others so there's farming there's women that do um embroidery like i said embellishments 
Um, there's some of them that have small businesses in uh, in Libya. The women there are being trained to, to to start their own businesses because in those countries many of the women don't have opportunity to be recognized as business people, so they don't have access to the financing tools and training that would be um, given to the men. And just to help them to find markets for their things, um, those are some of the opportunities that, that we can provide for them. Um, Jen, do you have some other things that, that would get the youth involved in? Sure, yeah. Sometimes we have a project, like Marianne's describing, where we encourage people to be involved in a particular sector. So we've had a lot of work with young people who are in agriculture, whether it's farming or, or, or uh, selling goods from, the, from a farm or processing things uh, into, uh, into more refined goods. Um, but we also have, as I was saying before, youth have a pretty wide range of abilities and dreams. And we've had young people that become car mechanics or they open construction workshops. Um, we've had cell phone repair people. We've had people who do wedding photography. Um, the, the sky's kind of the limit, and it's, it is really inspiring to see um, some, of the, some of the things that they're able to come up with. I think as long as there's not a big uh, amount of money that needs to be invested at the beginning, they, they have the opportunity to do uh, almost anything. The wedding photography, I think, is the most fun one I've seen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's quite amazing. Um, it's time to go for a break again, and when we come back from the break, I'm going to ask you uh, each for your um, your favorite story, maybe specifically um, impacted a, a family or an individual or um, or a community. So okay. <clears throat> we'll we'll get back to that right after the break. Okay, thank you. Is there a contribution that you dream of making? In society, planned giving seems to be presented as something you do once you're incredibly wealthy or planning your estate. Step Right with Lynn focuses on good money management and planning your contribution at every step based on the issues important to you. Learn how to expand the goodness around you and take responsibility for the issues important to you. Tune in for Step Right with Lynn every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central Time, 7 a.m. Mountain Time, and 6 a.m. Pacific Time on A to Zen.fm. This is Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham is a certified financial planner. To participate in the program today, please call toll-free in the U.S. 815-880-8255. That's 815-880-TALK. Or in Canada, 613-800-8736. Or you can Skype us at a to zen.fm. You can also make the choices to ask or comment by email by sending to lynn at stepright.ca. Now, back to the program. Welcome back. Uh, the the um, theme of our show today is alleviating poverty by unleashing entrepreneurship. Uh, and I have two guests from MEDA, that's the Mennonite Economic Development Associates. Um, and uh, Marion and Jennifer, um, what would be your favorite story? What impact have you seen um, that has really touched your heart? So I'm going to start. I managed a project in Morocco for several years the project was funded by the MasterCard Foundation, and it was called Youth Invest. And our target for the project was to reach 50,000 youth. So Morocco is a, 
a, a great place to work because it's, as we were talking about before, it's quite stable. It has a very, uh, very functional government. But there's huge income inequality in Morocco. There are some people with, uh, with, with beautiful houses and fabulous incomes, and there are people who really have very, very little. So one of the places that we were working in Morocco is a, a town called Oujda, and it's up in the northeast. It is in a very, uh, a very poor area. It's on the border of Algeria, and the Moroccan border to Algeria used to be uh, a huge trade route. So there's big towns along the borders, but about, uh, I won't say how many years ago, a few years ago, uh, about 15 years ago, I think the border got closed and it's, it's been closed permanently since then. And so a lot of these towns are really withering. Um, so we've done a lot of work in this town and I, I met a pair of twin boys there or young men. They were 21 when I met them a few years ago and they were... They'd just finished high school. They were taking some courses. They they, they were really, they, they were describing to me the, their lives from a couple of years ago, before they had started with the Youth Invest Project with us. They said they were they were twins, first of all, which is really unusual in, in North Africa. And they grew up with people thinking they had the evil eye. They were bad luck. They were cursed. So they were always being singled out, at school or in the community, they were always getting into fights, uh, and, and this kind of negativity really defined how they saw themselves, and it led to them becoming very angry and rebellious and negative themselves. I, I was finding it hard to believe as they were telling me this because they were they were absolutely charming. They were such wonderful guys. So they were telling me. I said, "What what made the difference for you?" And they said, "Well." They, they heard about this training program, and they were kind of skeptical, but eh, some of their friends were going, so they came too. So this was the program I mentioned before called 100 Hours to Success. Right. And it has right. some financial education, so they learn about savings and loans and how to plan for their future. But it also has what we call life skills, which is um, learning to communicate with other people, anger management, group work. Some of these skills that we, we know that we need to get ahead in life, but that we, frankly, we don't learn them really very systematically anywhere. Right. The third part right. of that, that training program was entrepreneurship and business skills. So they said, you know, the life skills, it was transformative for them. They, they realized that they were fueling the negativity that was part of their lives. They were, really? they were reacting. Yeah, they were, they were kind of, uh, not only maybe they didn't generate it, but they certainly perpetuated it. They said they uh -huh. they learned this, they they understood this, and so they they set about changing how they related to their family members, to their sisters, to their parents, to the people at school, and they said when they put out positivity, they suddenly found people were more willing to treat them differently. Wow. And when when I began talking to them, I said, okay, so what what are you doing now? Are you in school? And they said, yeah, we're taking a few courses, but but. We're starting a wedding photography business. This this was their okay. business, okay. All right. and they said, you know, they they wanted to be part of other people's happy events, and wow. they had some ability wow. with digital cameras, and they had a, a a fantastic little business that they were starting, and they they said, now our father gives us his ATM card and lets us go get money out of the bank for him. That's how much he trusts us. Oh, it was just wonderful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That is yeah. that is amazing. Mm hmm. That's wonderful. So Marion's got similar stories. I'm going to pass over to her too. Yeah, Marion, what's what's your favorite story? 
Well, I, I think it's that... Be, it'll be hard yeah, for you to come up with one, I know. <laughs> it really is. I have so many. But I think one that really, really impacted me was about a year and a half ago when I visited our project in Pakistan. And we spent a whole day visiting, or, or, or um, yeah, visiting the, the dairy part of the project. And that was the women in the household um, are responsible to look after the family cow, or many times it's a water buffalo. And they may have one or three or five. And, and if they have more than their household can use, they, they actually are able to sell that. So we have worked with that, with that whole industry there and helping them to get their, their milk to the dairy in a, in a more, um, oh, a more efficient way so that it's clean, it's got, it's not polluted by somebody putting in some, um, some dirty water, um, just helping that whole process. Part of it is the so women I, that I just want to I just want to clarify for you. This is the the, the milk is coming from from there, a water buffalo. From the, yeah, many times okay. it's water buffalo that they have instead of a dairy instead of a, a cow uh, a dairy right. cow like we, it has very good nourishing milk and actually at the dairy it's it's combined with the, the milk and the water buffalo. I think it's all combined and that's part of their culture. That's what they that's what they oh. use. That's what provides okay. their their so anyway right. we came in um training three days of training and how to increase the production of their animals um you know so whether it's um better food and nourishment and, and nutrition and and preventative health and and um you know just different things to help them care for their animals in a way that they will actually increase the production of their animals which increases their their income for the family household well mm-hmm. One afternoon, we met with a group, probably about 20 women, maybe, that had gone through that program a, a number of months before. And, um, and so we were asking them, have you seen a, the, an increase in, in your production and income? Oh, yes, they said. Um, they had probably increased by about, uh, I don't know, a dollar fifty or $1.70 U.S. a day, and that was huge for them. It's a number of leaders a day. Had increased, and so we asked them, um, "Do any of you have um, a bank account, a savings account at the bank?" No, they none of them had. Oh, but then their faces lit up. They said, "But we have a group savings account, and every week we put in, um, we all put in some a few shillings, uh, shillings, rupees. What is this? Rupees. rupees. Yeah, I get my country mixed up here. To our savings account, and that account is at the bank. And then if we need to borrow to to purchase a, a calf." Or, or to do something for our household, um, we can borrow from that fund and we pay interest on it. And the bank mm-hmm. pays it. And then their faces just lit up. I'm telling you, I wish you were there. They literally glowed. They said, with the income that we make on that savings account, we give to women that can never pay it back. Wow. And, and it choked up even now when I tell the story because it was just so amazing. Here are these women that have so little were sitting on sort of homemade benches out in a in a dirt courtyard and surrounded by the, the mud walls of their houses and with joy they tell us how they've helped they're able to help women who, who have less than they do. And it was just amazing and so inspiring. Um you know, the pay it forward comes to mind. Um, but mm-hmm. also that it makes people feel good to give, right? It Absolutely. makes people feel good to help other people. And 
they've been empowered by their own business, but they're also feeling empowerment by being able to help other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we can carry that over to ourselves. You know, when we're given much, then there's much um, responsibility as well. And we can get great joy in sharing what we have as well, knowing that it's making a difference for someone else. Yes. And and I I think that's, you know, one of our themes here, too, is that, you know, we hope to introduce people to, um, you know, some of the ways of giving so that uh, so that we find the things that really resonate with us um, when we, you know, to to sort of empower us in our giving as well, um, you know, that we really research what we're giving to and make sure that it really fits with what we'd like our uh, our contribution to be. So, yeah, those, sure. are, those are terrific stories. Um, so you you go into a community. What happens next? Well, I, I, I'm not sure who, who should answer that one. Um, I think, first of all, we do a lot of research as we um, are thinking about going into a community because we want to make sure that we work within um, the cultural norms of that of that area, the community we work, uh, we need to make sure that we know what what the needs are, and we have conversations with them, with the chiefs. You know, what what does your community need? What's lacking? What are the women doing? If it's a women's project, and I should just inject, we don't just have women's projects. We're focusing on that today. Um, but we also um, realize that if we increase the women's income, why that 90% goes back into the family and the household. So we know we're reaching the whole household. And if it's if it's men, you know, with all good intent, not that much gets back into the family. So we do we mm-hmm. we do get really excited about our women's projects and our youth because that's the future. But um, I think we need to find out where the community is at. Um, what can we bring that we already are have expertise in, and um, and and that's kind of how we would start. What are the gaps? Um, we want to also make sure that we have the approval of the chief uh, or the elders of the village, the village council, the community, the men, the husbands, the households. We don't go in in any way and start to uh, try to work with the women if we if the men aren't in favor of that. Jen, what would you add to that? Yeah, I would say also, Marion mentioned earlier that we, we essentially try and work ourselves out of a job. And so another important piece is looking for partners that we can work mm-hmm. with in a community. Um, the individuals are, are vitally important, and, and so are organizations that can help us to deliver the training, uh, deliver services, maybe deliver loans for us. We don't actually give out loans ourselves. We would work with an organization that does that. And then we would we would look for partners that are like-minded, so partners that, that have the same values and priorities as us, um, but also ones that, that we can build their capacity. Um, so we, we often don't work with um, a large, strong local partner. We do sometimes, but sometimes we also work with a tiny local NGO that we see as really promising. We had a, a partner in Morocco who um, was basically working in a shed with no electricity. Um, there were two of them working there, and there was one computer. And now that I think of it, I don't know how they charged their computer, but they did somehow. And by the time we left, that that partner had a staff of about 30. They were oh able to attract 
they'd grown hugely. They were they were delivering the 100 Hours to Success program for us, and they were doing other um, other community work for other organizations, and they were able to attract money, for example, from us. We we supported them to deliver services, but they were also getting grants on their own. So they were getting grants from the Moroccan government, uh, and and we saw that as a really positive step towards creating capacity in a, an organization that continues even now. We haven't been there for, for right. several years now, right. but but they're um, they're delivering really important services to to people in that community, partly because we we helped give them a bit of a step up and um, and we saw potential in them. And so looking for partners is a really important part of what mm-hmm. we do. So I think it w- it's it's important for our listeners. That's a, a good story for our listeners to really understand the impact that that would make in a community. Because you've got 30 people now with jobs where you had one person operating there before. So there's those 30 jobs, but but that's not even that's not even the beginning of the project. No, exactly. Um, right. So the. The direct jobs are obviously fantastic, um, and those yeah. are, you know, those are people that um, I, I don't know what they were doing before. Some of them likely had other jobs, but some of them had nothing. In addition, though, this organization with its 30 people, each of those people reaches dozens and dozens of people in the community with training services. With I think they also do health um, health training. So they reach hundreds and hundreds and even thousands, and and the multiplier effect. Um, is pretty significant there. Um, the, the the values that we're able to encourage in our partners, for example, um, this organization uh, delivers really good services to youth, but they also really encourage young women to be doing things that they might not have been able to do before. So, mm-hmm. so the, the the lenses that we can encourage our partners to take on the community, as Marion said, we're not there to to disrupt, but we are there to cause positive change among the community. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, with with that impact, is every person that is now uh, working at greater potential is also purchasing more from that community as well. If I have a, you know, if I have a few more dollars in my hand, I can also purchase things from other people in the community. And so, you know, I think that the um you know, it's it's amazing the kind of impact that could have in a community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one thing that we also I would like to say is that we don't just like bring financial services and that type of thing. We help them, like Jen said, with with life skills as well. And and I would say I think pretty well all our projects have a gender training component in helping them to, especially in some of these countries where where gender issues are huge and out of balance. We we try to help them to to learn how to interact and to respect women. And and we've seen change in several of our projects where uh, the women have been bringing more money into the home and and suddenly they realize they're not being abused physically um, in in ways that they were before because suddenly they're more um, respected. And so that's Mm -hmm. huge. Um, Also, starting with the children, that they understand. They can carry things on their heads, too, in in our project in Ghana. The boys are learning to carry water on their head, and the men are learning to cook. 
So we're starting to see some of those changes as well. Also, mother and, and infant um, care, nutrition, all those things we work as much as possible into our programs so that it's a more rounded program than just showing them how to plant seeds in the ground. Yeah, and I, I think it, it's very important just that you present possibilities because if I've, if I've never seen a woman earn money, if I've never seen a woman getting respect, then mm-hmm. I don't know that that's possible until mm-hmm. you know po- you know that possibility is is put forth from for me. So what I hear is that it's really easy to find a need in the world. And, <laughs> Unfortunately, yes. Yes, and that um that you really work very carefully culturally in each uh situation so that you're making a very intentional impact and you're not um you, you know, you're not doing some things that that you haven't thought through that might have unintentional impacts that might not be as positive for the community as well. We certainly we certainly try to do that. I mean, what we always want to keep in mind is that we're we're working with fairly vulnerable people, and we want to make sure that that we don't make things worse. That that would be catastrophic. And mm-hmm. so we we try and be as responsible as possible and. Uh, as Marion said, we have really good measurement systems, so we're always trying to learn from what we're doing and get information from from our partners and from our staff in the field and understand what what are the consequences of our work, both positive and negative, both intended and unintended, and how can we really focus focus on the things that are making the right difference, the things that are making the difference that people want to see in their own lives. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, what sort of closing uh, thought would you like to leave with, with all our listeners? What would you want to be sure that um, that we had made very clear about MEDA and your work in the world? Maybe I'll, I'll just start by saying um, I, I think that we see so many terrible headlines from around the world, and it's it, it's certainly possible to get discouraged and to think, you know why why should we send our money overseas what what good is it doing the chaos is only increasing and i think i would say it's important to remember that that these are people in communities that that sometimes just don't have much access to to things that that we take really for granted and and Absolutely. we can we can help we can we can really in very cost effective and sensitive ways we can we can make we can help people make their own lives better and that can make a huge difference. I think that a lot of the crises that we see now are fueled by people not having access to things that they have a right to. Um, mm-hmm. You know, people getting onto a boat and putting their families at enormous risk to get to another country it's because yeah. they, they don't have what yeah. they need where they are. And and so I would maybe encourage people to think about the human element to some of the terrible things that we read. And, and just to remember, you know, whether it's Mita's work or, or the work that a lot of good organizations do, um, Making sure people have have dignity and and options for the future is is really really important, and that's true in Canada as well. So I, I certainly don't deny that there's need here, but but there's great need in a lot of places that we work. Yeah, thank and you, I Jennifer. Just, I, and, and I Marian? just want to add, yeah, I just want to add that um, that I guess as a as an organization we feel that that it, you know that. God intends for all people to have access to to uh, to have the ability to unleash 
their own abilities to to earn a livelihood and provide for their family and their communities. And so we want to help help do that. Um, I just wanted to also say that that our listeners can help make this difference. We we do have, like you mentioned, a website www.nita.org, and uh, there's places on there to donate and how to donate, um, and wonderful stories, all kinds of things and, and details about where we work. But I wanted to tell you one very exciting. We have an intern program. In fact, we just got approved again by the government of Canada through uh, DFAT-D, the Department of Foreign Affairs Training Development, for four. 14 new interns for one for each of the next two years. So that's young people that have an opportunity. And two of our former interns, uh, Mary Fair worked in uh, Tanzania for nine months, and Sarah French worked in Nicaragua. These two girls learned through their internship a real passion for what Mead is doing, and especially for women. And they've decided to bike bicycle all across Canada, starting um, on the west coast on May the 18th. And so these girls are not bikers, but they're determined. They're raising money for our project in Ghana, our GROW project with the women farmers that are growing soybeans. And so um, they're going to, you know, 8,710 kilometers that they're biking, taking them four months. So um, if anybody wants to support them, they're hoping to raise $150,000, which in the Ghana project is multiplied nine times by the Canadian government funding. Uh, people can get it from our website or go to www.biketogrow.com. And these girls are amazing and they will be delighted to have support. So um, yeah, I just thought I'd put a plug in for them and, and their hard work that they're going to yeah, you bet. Bike to Grow, we'll be, we'll be watching for more information about that um, as well as um, we'll have to stay in touch and, uh, and be aware of what, uh, what Mead is doing. So thank you so much for being with us. Well, thank you for having us. We're always happy to tell the stories, and I just thought it would add something to have one of our program directors in here this morning because she's, she's got her hands Terrific. on the of the project. So, yeah, thank no, you. It, it was great to have both of you with us this morning. Um, so interesting, um, so inspiring as well. Um, inspiring to encourage each of us to find, um, you know, the things that are that we feel passionate about, so that we have, um, you know, opportunity to to give to those things that we are passionate about. So this is Lynn Wedham, and the show is Step Right with Lynn. Until next time, take the right steps to support yourself, your family, and your community. Bye for now. Thank you for choosing to listen to Step Right with Lynn. Lynn Wedham will return next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Central, 7 a.m. Mountain, and 6 a.m. Pacific on AtoZen.fm. We hope you'll join us. Remember to celebrate your wealth by doing something for yourself, your family, and your community. Until next time.